What's up with it, y'all? Let me ping my man. Let me ping, um, where's she at? Say the night. What's up, Jay? What's up with it? Zay, we outside. What's up? Can y'all hear me? Let me turn it down. What's up? Can you hear me, Zay? Or is my volume down? What's up with my volume? Okay, y'all can hear me. What's up? What's up? We outside. Let me hit Spencer real quick. What's good, Zay? How you feeling? Hello. Hello. How are you? How are you? What's good? What's Your feedback good? You is crazy. Your feedback is crazy. Let me fix it real quick. My bad. Let me turn it down. Let me get my life together. How I sound now? Better, better. I can still hear myself, but better. I can still hear myself, but better. Okay, hold up. I think I had. Hold on one second. Boom, boom, boom. Yeah, let me fix it. Cool, cool. How you how you hear it now, Zay? I'm straight. I'm on point. Yeah, yeah. Sound like Barry White. Um, um, I can, <laughs> I can still hear myself. Uh, I don't really know what it is, but it's actually like fading out now. Now I don't hear it. Okay, hold on one second. Zay, you ready to get doxxed? <laughs> Cute. Yo, Zay, man, Clubhouse is super, like, if y'all been out in the hallways, man, Clubhouse is uh, a very, and like the mainstream, it's a very different space. It's a very different place. <laughs> Goodness gracious. Zay. Let's get it going. I'm just waiting for Spencer, man, so... Man, tell tell yes, me about that. What's up, Jay? Ain't nothing smooth sound like a boat in the waves. How you good, brother? Oh, I'm good, man. I can't complain. It's waiting on my man Spencer, man. So Zay, let's let's get it started, man. The first question I have for you is what is what was it like growing up at the DMV? How do you feel about the area that you came up in and all this amazingness out here? Growing up in the DMV, it was great. Um, I was born in Alexandria, raised in D.C. and a lot of my life. And um, I had my grandparents and parents very close to me. So um, a lot of my life was in the Northern Virginia area, the Richmond area, and of course in D.C. So I think having that flavor of the city and also, you know, the Virginia suburbs was nice for me and it was a good little juxtaposition of like you know social landscapes um I had dope parents I can definitely say that two really cool parents that allowed me to be me um they definitely facilitated all of my funky artistry and poetic dreams and they never really forced me to be anything other than what I wanted to be so if I wanted to play soccer I could do it if I wanted to run track or do dance or create a painting. They were always there for that. So I really appreciated that. And I think on top of that, um, because of having like the city lifestyle and the suburban lifestyle, I was able to have like a rainbow of friends, um, not just all black or all white, but 
just a bunch of different friends from a bunch of different walks of life. And I think that kind of makes me who I am today, just coming from a very diverse background and having two very modern, but also like traditionally set parents. That's dope, man. You've been everywhere a little bit and moved around. So I got a question and this is, this is a personal question, man. Why does, why does DC hate on Baltimore so much? <laughs> um, uh, first of all, I think it would be the other way around, Jack. But um, <laughs> I think I think it's just a city thing, you know. Um, DC versus Baltimore—they're always going to have their little city rivalries. But you know, at the end of the day, there's nothing like the most important city in the nation—the nation's capital, Washington D.C. No, nah, you're absolutely right. Um, DC is an amazing place. Um, I'm I married a local an amazing woman, got a beautiful baby. Um, and I totally agree. DC is the best of the best. You know, Baltimore is just like, you know, we just got the better food. We dress better. We talk better. We got the better music, but those are simple nuances. Let's oh, you it. wish. Let's get, it. Let's get into it though. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, so what we doing, um, I, I did a lot of research on your paternal. First, no. My last question is, uh, what does your social media fr- footprint look like? What spaces are you involved in on Clubhouse? And, you know, how do you like to move on the app? So um, when I first came to the app, it was definitely to promote my business and um, grow my brand. I'm a graphic designer and a brand designer that specializes in social media development and campaign creation. So um, that's what I was doing here. And while doing that, I met some great people, did some great things. I joined some mindfulness groups and I was able to be inspired to write my next two books as well. So I'm excited to publish those and share, you know, a dope children's book with kids of color and a poetry book with um, some really cool sensual poetry um, for, you know, young people. Um, But uh, that book is definitely for adults. Um, I kind of just like to maneuver all over the app. Um, I don't limit myself to just specific spaces, Um, but I can definitely say I love the audio spas. I love the meditation rooms. Um, I love the black womanism rooms, definitely the black community growth rooms uh, where we can build. Really love those. Um, There's an astrophysics room that I go to often. I know that's crazy, but I'm really into astrophysics. Um, And recently I've been in a lot of herbology rooms as well as um, different um, gardening rooms because I'm working on, you know, just working on sustainability for my home and growing my own food. So I like to give myself the opportunity to fully use the entire app. Um, but of course, all in all, like my main goal is to, you know, grow my business and share my services with other black people and hopefully, you know, definitely do business with other people of color. Cause I'm always looking to do business with people of color. So how did you go from like growing up in DC going to go-go's, beating your feet, smoking dippers to where you are right now. Okay, first, not too much, okay? <laughs> I wasn't doing all that. <laughs> you know how hard it was to keep a straight face? <laughs> um, nah. So beating your feet, I was doing. Going to the go-go's, I was doing. Um, a better question is, why doesn't Baltimore have a sauce? DC at least has mambo sauce, you know. But um, we got, we <laughs> anyway, got old bay. We got old bay. Y'all got that's the spicy top dust. The best, you know. Spicy dust. <laughs> dippers for uh, dippers for who does not know locally. Um, it was really big in DC back in the day to put embalming fluid in their um, smoking um, materials and enjoy themselves. So, yeah, that that just shows you, you know, why we number one, because we wouldn't do anything like that. Well, um, I think just like 
personally, growing up in D.C., um, for one, I can definitely admit it does not motivate you at all to get your license. (laughs) Most D.C. young people are not motivated to get their license just because it's significantly easier to get around the city um, by just getting on the train, getting on the bus, getting an Uber. Most likely it'll take you longer in your car and parking your car will easily cost you at least 10 to 20 bucks on a good day. Um, So that's one thing. But other than that, I think living in the city really makes you who you are. Um, It allows you to fully be who you are without stipulation. Everybody is so different in the city. There's so much culture, so much art and music and life. And almost there's a presence of acceptance because everybody is so different. So I think growing up in the city and riding the trains, going on the bus, going downtown by myself from like the age of 11, I really got to develop who I was, you know. When I was younger, you know, I wasn't really out with my friends, you know, going to the mall. I was downtown in the museums and the galleries and the libraries and really just finding the artist that I am. And... I'd say right around 15 or 16, that's when I first picked up a paintbrush and really started to express my creativity through that way. So that was really my first serious business, selling my art. Um, And to this day, I still appreciate being able to create um, a mural for my high school before graduating um, to give them a piece of something I love. So. Yeah, that's super dope. That's super dope. Like, I ain't even got no joke right after that because you just, like, put held it down, like, super solid. <laughs> All right, so you got three rooms. What are your top three rooms on Clubhouse um, that you would say that you're in all the time or you recommend or you want people to check out? Okay, so shameless plug. Got to put my club in here. Um, Hana Honey Healing. I love my club. It is a black mindfulness and meditation space. And we read a bunch of different meditations, books, um, therapeutic reviews, all for the betterment of black people. Um, It is a safe space, but it's not a clinically safe space. So um, I definitely invite people to join my club, Hana Honey Healing. Um, Just if you want to be supported in your, you know, meditation journey, a lot of people think that meditation is supposed to be easy and it just happens overnight, but it's not. That's why they call it a practice. So um, that's one of them, of course. Um, so one of my favorite clubs on the more ratchet side is the Heifer Club. Ray knows all about that. <laughs> In the Heifer Club, the slogan is a safe space for women and not for men. <laughs> but um, in there, really, we just focus on... Um, Uh, really understanding uh, the male psyche for one, but also um, uplifting women and speaking about the different um, juxtapositions between parties. Um, We also talk about the different levels of communication, dating, relationships, um, the ins and outs of, you know, emotion. Uh, We really talk about everything in the Heifer Club, but I can definitely say it is a women-led space. Shout out to my doctors that run it with me. Um, So women definitely get special privileges in that room because we want women to be heard in that space. Um, But even though sometimes it does get a little silly and trolly, we do have some really good topics where we talk about, um, you know, what really is fair between men and women. Um, So that will be two. And then I think if I'm going to pick a third, I will say my third favorite club is Grown and Sexy. Um, We just hit 18,000 followers. Yay. Shout out to Grown and Sexy. Um, It is an African diaspora group um, where we are connecting African-Americans to Africans in Africa. Um, We have a huge presence in Nigeria, um, as well as Sierra Leone. Mozambique and Ghana um, and we're growing every day there's awesome rooms we play games we do DJ battles we connect people we have a small business Saturday where we help connect African-American entrepreneurs with African entrepreneurs in order to collaborate we've had a few um, different events in person so those will probably be my three favorite clubs 
Man, if you can, can you drop the names in the chat so people can follow them? Yeah, no problem. See, y'all, I only bring dope people to the space. And uh, I know, okay, Chimeme down there, he's going to jump in. As soon as you said connecting Africans to Africa, I'm sure he busted a blood vessel in his eye. <laughs> That's what he lived for. Spencer, what's good, man? I'm awesome. Thank you so much for being here. This is a great place. It's an honor. Thank you so much. Hey, man. So what's up? You want to go first or what? Hello. First of all, Zay, what are you looking forward to um, the most on each side? Like, what are you looking to learn or what questions did you have um, before um, we started this journey? Um. So I, I'm blessed enough to say I do know a lot about my family genealogy um, and things I wanted to know more about were my great grandfather on my father's side, um, who was a clerk, and he opened the Clark Hotel, which was the only blacks, ho blacks only hotel to ever exist. Um, which is pretty freaking dope to me. Um, I definitely want to know more about him. I think it is amazing to have had a great grandfather who opened such an um, an audacious company, you know, um, especially during that time, right? Like the peak of civil rights. Um, so I would love to know more about that. I also would like to know more about my great, great grandmother on my um, mother's side. Um, she was a free woman, um, but she was also a Blackfoot Indian and she was a doula and an herbalist. And I just am really excited to know more about my family because the more I know, the more I learn that I've always had like a very strong Black family who's always worked hard to be entrepreneurs and set new paths for their family. And I feel like, you know, that entrepreneurial spirit is in my blood. So I'm excited to learn more about them. Awesome, that is great. So I was tasked with the fun task of North Carolina. Uh, that is my home state and my blood runs strong in North Carolina. Many of us, including your family that have been there, have been there for at least three centuries. So we are some of the oldest folks in this country, which is a blessing. Uh, that is on African side, our black side. And to give, I like to give context to places that we live in. So a lot of your folks come from Columbus County and uh, Bladen County, North Carolina, which is about a half hour or so from the coast. This is your, on your mom's side, going way, way back. And uh, again, they've been there since the 1700s or late 1600s. Many of the folks that enslaved them came out of uh, the, uh, the North, Virginia also. And some came from the uh, Barbados. So you'll see a lot of ties with the Barbados with those colonies on Eastern North Carolina. This part of the state is pretty interesting because this is where we would find more of our large plantations. I would back up and say there were many free blacks also in this area. They came out of uh, Virginia in the 1650s. So this area is very, very rich in history for people of color. Of uh, the blacks that came over for Africa came from the areas usually of Nigeria, the Benin, Guinea, Togo, Ghana, you mentioned Ghana earlier, the Ivory Coast. Uh, they were mostly involved in tobacco. So we oftentimes think of enslaved folks being involved with cotton. Cotton was grown in North Carolina, but more so in the southern North Carolina and South Carolina. In North Carolina and Virginia, more so the crop was tobacco. And uh, a neat thing about the people in this area was they were the ones who really made the state what it is. So when you go and see those old schools, those old cities, those old houses, just know that our people, your people, were those craftsmen. They were the ones who were building the place, draining the swamps, building the roads, building the infrastructure. And they have been there since for 300 years or more. So that's amazing history to realize when many people in this country claim to call it Ellis Island, we've been there twice as long as they have. So we have a very strong history. You also have people from Mecklenburg County, which is a Charlotte area. Uh, again, they usually came from that uh, eastern west, that eastern part of the Carolinas. So whereas many people think of the ports in Charleston and Savannah, our folks would have come usually out of Wilmington or the ports in Virginia. So if you're looking for ports, we're going to go back probably at least to the early 1800s with your family in these lines today. Uh, we won't have time to go over all of them because we have a lot of, because North Carolina does have very, very good records. If there's a, a person you want us to hone in on, uh, just me a message, I can look more later on for that. Because North Carolina does have such rich records, we can go pretty far back. I would suspect if we had time, like really to do some intense research, we probably could even find, get close to when they came over because you're in the port, you're in the, those, those port areas. 
where the ships sort of came in with the Africans coming into North Carolina. So again, we'll start now uh, with your mom's side. And I'm going to focus in more so on the Duns and those people, the Mots, etc. Uh, your mom, of course, your grandparents you mentioned earlier were Thomas Eli Dunn on one line and Sarah Stumper. Another part of that family would have been Luther Wilson and Essie Little. These are your great-grandparents on one of the sides of the family. Uh, going up to Sarah Stumper and Thomas Dunn. So Thomas was born, of course, in 1926, died, in, died recently about five years ago. His parents were Polly Dunn, who was born around 1907. Polly, we know, had two husbands, and I'm going to discuss both of them because in North Carolina, usually we're just very close. So, I mean, I'm going to say, although you descend from one of those fathers, husbands, you can probably guarantee that you were also related to the other one also. And one of them has a very intriguing, very intriguing past. So Polly was born in 1907. Her father was a man named Debro or Debro Dunn and Clara Troy. Oftentimes the name is misspelled like Deborah, but we're pretty sure it's probably a different, probably a more Africanized version of Debro. So that might be for linguistic folks, might be a way to help trace back his lineage. Deborah was born around 1883 and Clara born in 1892. Now, what is neat about them is we can go back to even his father. So we know that Deborah's father was a man named Washington Troy and his wife was a boy of uh, Hannah. I'm looking at all my different slides on this. And we can get them back to the 1870s. So Washington was born in Columbus County, North Carolina. And Hannah was a Boykins, was born around 1830. So we've gotten back really far just on that one line with him. We know that Hannah came from the Francis of Baldwin family, which was a large enslaving family in that area, in Columbus County. In 1850, they owned about 35 slaves between the father and the children. Uh, which again was a large plantation for North Carolina. North Carolina didn't have a lot of the large, like Mississippi-style plantations because of the rivers and being so far inland. So that was a pretty large plantation family there. You're also gonna find people like Swindale in that family. Of one line of your family has done a lot of history on their family. And I'm gonna share with you one story from when it came down on a man named Peter Milliken, who also goes by the name of Peter Baldwin. He says, I was born around 1805 in North Carolina and my first life part of my life was spent under slave master Warren Baldwin. And I lived on his plantation in Hallsboro, actually Hillsboro, North Carolina. There my name was Peter Baldwin. We had a lot of kids on the plantation, including my wife, Christian, pretty. Our increase and our children, Adam, Benjamin, etc. Now what I wanted to share about this was he actually was moved to Florida. So you're gonna find that you have relatives also from this Baldwin family in Florida, because they moved there around 1850. So again, many of us, who are new to this process, realize we had relatives, we thought we were just from North Carolina, but we have kinfolk in Florida, Alabama, and Mississippi. So if you can imagine, of course, when they say moved, if we can think about walking from North Carolina to Florida. That's a if we were to do it now in a car, it's gonna at least be 12 hours, but think of walking through the swamps. Another neat piece about this part of the family was the Dunn family was near the swamps. There's actually a swamp called Dunn Swamp. And this area was near the Dismal Swamp. And again, to give context, many African-Americans who were enslaved actually left their plantations and lived in the swamps. We know there were thousands, thousands, plural, living in the swamp at one time. And why would they do that, of course, to escape the enslavers? And the swamp was so dangerous, the enslavers would not even go in to look for them. And there's a lot of work being done around that now. So when you think about the Dunn family and the Baldwin family, we can be assured there was some connection to those because they were right in that area. So we know that Washington was born there. We're now going to go back to Andrew Mott. So we mentioned Polly Dunn, who was the mother of Thomas Dunn and who had married a second husband named Andrew Mott. Now, Andrew had a very, very interesting uh, life. So in digging up Andrew, he was born to a man named Levi Mott. Now, we know that Andrew was born before he was born before uh, the Civil War. So he was born enslaved. His father, Levi, was also born enslaved. And so Levi was actually served in a war, the Civil War. Now to clarify, he was not on the side we want him to be on, but we do know that in North Carolina, he served in Private Captain Nett's Company K-14 of the Home Guards and the 3rd Militia State Militia Cavalry. So we would ask ourselves, why in the world would a man of color, and there were a few blacks who served on the Confederate side freely, 
but most of them did not. We know that this uh, Levi did not serve probably voluntarily. Many of our enslaved ancestors would have gone to the Confederacy as a butler or an assistant to their enslaver. And this was the case for Levi. That gives us any kind of context and rest. So we don't think of that as Levi. So again, Levi would have been the father of Andrew Mott, who was Polly Dunn's second husband. Just to give you some connotation uh, for these relative ancestors. Again, these people and people listening, the areas we're talking about are Whiteville, North Carolina, Fairmont, North Carolina, and uh, near Fayetteville, North Carolina. So now we're going to go back and discuss your uh, other part of the family of Deborah Dunn, Deborah Dunn's parents. His parents would have been, my notes just went out, James Dunn and Harriet Dunn. And they again would have been born in the early 1800s. Now I want to skip over to one, another character. I don't want to take all the time from away from uh, my cousin, but to the Bobos of no, South Carolina. Do your thing, do your thing, you got it. Okay, okay, good, okay. Make sure I went on time. So we're going to go back to another one of your lines I thought you might find to be very interesting. Of, and this is the Bobo line. And your second great-grandfather on one line was John Henry Bobo, who was born in South Carolina in 1906, and his wife, Pearl Young. He died in 1973. Now, per, uh, John was born of a man named Henry Bobo, who was born in 1873 in South Carolina. And the neat thing about him is, I'm sorry, my screen just went out, was that he was actually a fairly wealthy and we see his tombstone in Lawrence County, South Carolina. So again, there's a very, very rich history there. I'm going to ask cousin, I'm going to pick a pause here. My internet just went out for a minute and I can't get my notes. But as we're talking, does, are you have any questions about that so far? Um, <laughs> I think right now I'm really just taken aback with how much information I am being shared with right now. We have tried to do our family gene genealogy on our own and we have gotten nowhere near as far as you guys have gotten. Um, we've only gotten as far as my great, great grandmother. We haven't had any other um, relatives or anything like that. So really I'm just taking it all in. Um, I don't really have any questions yet because you really have been explaining everything so, so very well. Um, okay, but I really appreciate the stories and things like that. They really just touched me. Well, thank you, thank you. So to go back to the Bobo name, and I was curious, I was like, is this an African name? So the Bobo name is B-O-B-O, -O, but it actually was a Huguenot name. Of course, many of our folks took the name of their enslavers. Uh, it was B-A-U-B-A-U, -A -A and they were Huguenots, and the Huguenots came over from France. Just to give you an idea of the context of the kind of people you were dealing with, uh, they came over from France because of religious freedom and moved into North Carolina, Virginia, and some into South Carolina. Now, what I loved about Henry Bobo was he was born in 1873, is we usually don't think we can find a tombstone for people of color back then. But Henry had a very large tombstone, a nice-sized tombstone, which would tell me that he lived fairly well for himself. And so that's another thing, another strong sign. Uh, we also know that Henry's father was a name we probably know of named Anthony Bobo. Uh, there does seem to be a connection with Mississippi. Uh, again, which is not surprising because many of our enslaved folks who were born in North Carolina or South Carolina had relatives who were shipped down to Mississippi. So we do see a lot of that family members going down to Mississippi. His Henry's wife was a lady named Annie Fuller, and her parents were Andrew Fuller, who was born in 1856, and Carrie Fuller, who was born in 1862, and also in South Carolina. Uh, we know that Andrew's father was a man named Elias Fuller, born around 18 and 19, and his mother was a lady named Melinda Fuller, born around 18 and 30, also in South Carolina, in this area of South Carolina. So you have a very rich, rich history. Uh, we also know that Carrie's parents were Martin Cunningham, who was born around 18 and 20, and Naledi Cunningham, who was born in 1823 in Lawrence County. So you have a very strong presence in Lawrence County, South Carolina. A lot of your family is there. Uh, as a, on this side of the family, the Bobos, the Jennings, the Cunninghams, the Fullers, etc., all on that part of Lawrence. So, and the enslaved people from South Carolina, from Lawrence, would have come in through Wilmington, I mean, through Charleston. And they may have a context to that Gully Geechee, Gully Geechee uh, heritage we often hear about, versus your North Carolina folks who came through Wilmington, North Carolina, and or Virginia. So there's a strong difference in those two families, but a, nonetheless, a very, very rich family. 
So other names we're going to find in that family were Willie Little. And these are your other second great-grandparents, Essie Jacksons, Mott's and Dunn's. I didn't want to go uh, bore you with all the details, but just to give you an overview of some of the family members you would have there. And also to give you, uh, if there is time to reflect, and then you can also message me and ask a question about the people that we discussed, including your free black family members. So uh, again, that, thanks again. This has been a great time. And going back to your family, we do have a tree up for you that Ray started. I had some things to it. He did too, which you can check out. And again, always ask questions about any of the context. I don't want to go into more, more, more detail, but to give you a strong overview of your family roots from the Carolinas. North Carolina is very blessed to have a lot of rich records. Uh, I even found a copy of one of your uh, ancestors' Cohab records, and to give you an idea of what that is, uh, when the enslaved people were freed in North Carolina, the state legislature said, let's have them to all legally make their marriages legal. Now, that doesn't seem like a lot to us, but for many of these folks, this was their first time having their name, whatever name they chose, even with their, their, their enslaver's last name, this was their first time that you're going to find many of these people with a first and last name in a legal document. So for, the, for our ancestors, these Cohab records, getting their, their marriages registered was a big deal. And so uh, we do have a copy of that that you can look at, so we can send to you too. Uh, me personally, it sounds kind of corny. I oftentimes frame those because that's like their first time having a true identity and being seen as a, human, a, a true human. So uh, thanks again, Cousin Ray, for this. Uh, and thank you for giving us a chance to go through your roots. Hey, hey, man. Spencer and them Carolinas, he don't play with it. I'm glad it's on replays because he he gave you uh, Thriller Manila, hit after hit after hit after hit. He ain't let you catch your breath. <laughs> How you feeling? Really? Those, eh? He did not. It's on replays, so you can always uh, spin a block on it. And I love this because I can save this replay and I can, you know, let my grandparents hear it. Um, ever since, you know, as he stated earlier, my great grandfather passed, which I was blessed enough to have in my life for over 18 years. Um, our family has been um, grasping to get closer to our family and understand our genealogy. So I'm very excited to show my grandparents. And what I'm going to say one last thing, I'll be quiet. Uh, what I love is when. I can go somewhere and say my ancestors walked here and because of your family's history we actually can uh, show you some places that they actually walked you know being in the 1820s which to me is always like just that spiritual feeling of connection thanks again so as you said you really really want to get into that clock line and um i've been working uh hardcore on your Clark family. Um, you know, my guy, actually, hold on one second, let me just pull it up. Your ancestor, Hartman Mick Clark. What do you know outside of the Green Book? Do you have any other information on him or know anything? So I know that um, he wasn't, um, he didn't get to spend actually very much time in my grandfather's life because he did pass pretty early. Um, but I do know the big thing, which is that he opened the Clark Hotel, the Blacks Only Hotel, and that is super cool. There's a lot of different articles about it um, and how, you know, strong he was in his ideals. Um, he was trying to create a space where black people were comfortable. And there was a lot of different, you know, musical headliners that stayed at the space. Um, and people, you know, of color, you know, with prestige that came to the Clark Hotel and were able to have, you know, safe and comfortable lodging um, as black people amongst other black people. So that's the majority of what I know about him. Yeah, and I want to read an article real quick um, about it. So, um, let me come down. Like you said, Hotel Hotel Clark was started in, I believe it was 1939. And it was one of, if not the premier hotel destination for African-Americans during that time on Bill, on Bill Street in Memphis. And uh, Count Basie, he was um, Count Basie, Louis Armstrong, anybody that came to that area stayed there. That was the upper echelon, the five star. And also, like the movie The Green Book, um, her ancestor's hotel was actually in that book. It was the premier place 
They would have jam sessions throughout the night. And it was, it was the standard. And even though it's not around today, just like Zay said, there's plenty of articles on it. And um, it's amazing. That like that's absolutely amazing, Zay. When people say like we are not our ancestors, like you cannot relate to that because you come from a long line of bosses who made it happen. Like that's some legendary stuff right there. I would definitely be proud of that. So I'm gonna go one generation back and um his parents, his parents were uh Coleman Clark and Martha Ellen um, Broadnax. I think I said that right. I always say that wrong. And he had a brother and a sister, Samuel Clark and Minnie Clark. His, his father was actually born in Virginia, around the Richmond area, um, both of his parents actually. And when they were actually raised and brought up in Fayette, Tennessee, and when I look at the Clarks from that area, so Coleman, he did an amazing job keeping records on where he was from. And he pinpointed where he was from every time, that county in Virginia. And then when I started looking at the white Clarks from, from Tennessee, the death records and all of that stuff from Fayette County, Tennessee, I see the correlation. They're from the same exact area. So, um Excuse me. A lot of work needs to a lot of more work needs to be done, but I think we could draw the conclusion that um pre-emancipation, um, these white clerks from Virginia acquired land and brought them down there. I also would say that um my clerks are from the same area as your clerks. So um they may be from the same area, they may they may even be related. Um uh, that's more research to do, and I'm excited to jump on that journey. But all right, we might be cousins. Yeah, we might be cousins. So that's not where it ends, though. That's what's dope about your your Clarks because he moved down to Critterton, Arkansas. You know, after the Civil War, Arkansas got ran through. They got their ass whooped so bad they was asking black people to move there <laughs> and get some of that land. So I believe after emancipation, your Clark family moved down to Tennessee and took advantage of that. And that's where Hartman, you, you're missing a name, Hart, Hartman County Mick Clark. He was born in Cross, Arkansas in 12 September, 1902. Your family uh, got up. They were shifted from Virginia to Tennessee to work in those fields. And when they were emancipated, they got up out of there and went down to Arkansas. So. That's where Hartman County Mick Clark was born. And at a young age, his entire family moved to Arkansas and his first wife, which was, uh, I mean, moved to Memphis, Tennessee. And his first wife, Maggie Smith, um, was also from Arkansas and moved up to Tennessee as well. I have him in 1930 living in Memphis, Tennessee, and he's working as an elevator operator at a hotel. So in 1930, he was an employee. Nine years later, he was the owner of what will become the premier hotel in the Green Book for Black people to be at. And that was, that's just amazing to do that in a short period of time like that. So we pull up to 1940, and what got to me was the people that were living there. In the 1940 census, your other ancestor, um, Dothalia Moore, she's living in Memphis with her family, and she came from Alabama. Her parents were Dennis Moore Jr. and Belua Martin. They came up from Alabama to Memphis in the 30s as well, this migration upward. And in 1940, what struck me was, I know the question that you had was, how did they get to Kentucky? How did they connect? In 1940, he was married to Maggie's, Maggie Clark. But 
was what got out to me was who else lived there, lived in the hotel because he lived in a hotel in the 1940 census. And one person that stuck out, I just told you that, um, what's the name again? My bad. Yeah. Dothalia Moore. Um, her father's name was, uh, Dennis Smith Jr. I mean, Dennis Moore Jr. And who lived in a hotel as an elevator operator in 1940 was Dennis Smith III. He was an employee of Clark Hotel. And another person that worked there was Searcy Williams. So this is your great, great uncle. Um, Searcy Williams was married, working in a hotel. And Dennis Moore was so close to Mick Clark that in his World War II documents, where he had to register for the draft card, he lists Mick Clark as his next of kin. Um, I guess that's how close they were. And I believe, yeah, I believe that that was the segue for your, your, um, your ancestor um, and Mick Clark to connect um, through the brother. So in a few short years, um, the family is living in, Kentucky. Dennis Moore married Searchy Williams, living in Louisville, Kentucky. And I believe what got them from Memphis was, I think they either sold the hotel or it went down. Um, I believe within the next three years of the 1940 census, his wife passes away. Um, and, And by 1944, I know for sure that Mick Clark was married to Dothulia Moore because in the obituaries, it lists, in 1944, Dothulia's sister passed away, and it lists Dothulia and also Mick Clark as um, in the newspaper obituaries living in Louisville, Kentucky. I believe they either sold or got out of the Hotel Clark business and moved to Louisville, Tennessee, because just like you said, they moved to they moved to um, Louisville and, you know, unfortunately Mick passed away. Like you said, when your grandfather was very young, he was around two and a half, three years old. But in the 1950 census, Dennis Moore is still living in uh, Louisville, Kentucky, um, separated. <laughs> and he lists um, himself working at a hotel as an elevator operator. So I believe that's what got your family to um, Kentucky, where your grandfather was born and came up and moved around. But I just wanted to say, so we're going down this uh, Clark line. So you have Virginia, Tennessee, <laughs> Arkansas, Memphis, and you know the rest of your story all the way down to yourself, man. It's just, it was amazing to research. It's a lot more that I want to go into and we could talk offline about it. But I just wanted to say, like, you know, you deal with these a lot of research, the families still live in the same place. You know, I'm talking about you can go six, seven, eight, nine, ten generations back and you live five, ten minutes, an hour away from where your ancestors lived at. You're still in a remote area. Your family kept moving, kept making opportunities for themselves and a better life for their family. And to this day, <laughs> you know, you're doing it right now. Your parents did it and your grandparents did it, man. The Clark family is just such an amazing line of research. It's just a story of resilience and, you know, that migration for better opportunities. And they didn't stop for anything. So, yeah, it's a lot more we, I want to talk about, but I just wanted to give you give you the lowdown. It was just an amazing thing to research. Honestly, the way I feel right now I feel like all of you guys' PTRs, I feel like I am my ancestors' wildest dream. Just from hearing all these backgrounds, like, I, I almost feel validated in, like, the strength I've always had in my ancestors. I didn't know them. I didn't know what they looked like. I didn't know their names. But I knew I came from some type of rich stock, and I felt it deep inside of me. So it feels good to know that, like, 
you know, I'm not crazy. I do have like a very rich history that I can, you know, call upon. And I'm very thankful to come from a family like this. Shell, it just talking to you and getting to know you and talking about your ancestors, like what you have going on, you and your family, like you are literally carrying the torch. Um, the spirit of entrepreneurship, the spirit of going into the unknown and coming out successful and continuing to get better and not getting comfortable. Your ancestors did it and you are too. So, you know, they walking with you and they pushing you and, you know, they got your back, man. It's just, it's, I mean, it's so much how I, I could talk about. It's just an amazing journey. Like, you, yeah, it's, you should be very proud of that. Well, really, I want to thank all of you guys for all of the hard research that you guys have been doing. You guys did a lot of work um, on my behalf, and I'm very, very grateful for it. I would not have known where to even start to get this work done, so I am forever indebted to you guys. Thank you. No problem, no problem. And I'm glad you said indebted because I want to talk about payments and you know, arrangements and stuff like that. I know you're about to start a business. So I want to see if I can get a percentage of that. So I'm, I'm very glad you put that out there because I do want to capitalize on it. Thank you for the chance to even do this, to, to actually do this. Uh, I think we all love realizing that our ancestors were human and giving them the humanity and the voice that they didn't have for many generations. So thank you for this opportunity. Absolutely. And thank you for allowing me to be the first person. I'm glad that I am the first person to do this with you guys. And I can't wait to see so many other people's stories. I'm very excited to see other people get in touch with their heritage and their family and just to watch them see, have the excitement that I have and the experience that I had and just know that they are indeed their ancestors' wildest dreams. So. Yeah, Zay, so, I mean, you just kind of skipped over the Cash App and all of that stuff. Um, you didn't come off mute when I was speaking, so I just want to know how you felt about that. Oh, I'm down for it. Just <laughs> I'm, I'm, messing with you. <laughs> I'm messing with you, man. I'm messing with you. So, right now, we're going to open it up. So, I see we got people with their hand raised. If you want to raise your hands, if you want to add a question to the comment, if you want to add some context, you got some family that, um, you know, that you that you think crossing lines and you want to talk about it, this might be your cousin. Uh, raise your hand and hop up or ask a question. I know. Okay, Chimeme is can't wait to talk about them connecting with Africans. So I'm gonna let him up, and then we got Marseille, and then we got Diana. So I'm letting y'all up now. Hey Ray, I got a question for you before I before I slide to this uh this meeting I have um. I saw 53 new members added to my tree today or yesterday. Was that you, my good brother? Always, man. I'm always changing your life, Jay. I don't even know why you, you asked. I'm the, I'm the best are. thing that I ever mean, happened to you, man. Well, Matter of fact, before Hold you leave. Now. Hold on now. Hey, just, <laughs> see, that's the thing. That's the thing about it, Jay. You just keep fighting it. Just let it happen, bro. You you ain't you ain't my mom or my daddy now. Hold on now. <laughs> nah, but Jay, you, you ain't give me life. <laughs> I changed your life though. But don't you ever change my life. I All changed right, your man. life. <laughs> nah, but look down. Look, look on the stage. Do you see somebody familiar, Jay? Diana. Yes. Hello. What's up now? How you feeling? I'm feeling wonderful. You know, I want to say, first of all, you guys, I hope this goes nationally because I appreciate the work that you're doing. You guys, I'm just so excited and just hearing the, the history that was just shared and just, well, I mean, I love history, right? I do. And I love finding family and seeing, you know, because I always said, you know, I'm a Bailey and I love the Baileys. And I'm so happy that you're a part of my family. <laughs> yes, yes, we are family. And it is truly this five-year journey that we started in 2017 has definitely been everything and amazing, in fact. And uh, so, something that I could have never written a script for. 
So, you know, we got rooms coming <laughs> with Jay and Diana. And I'm looking forward to telling uh, their stories as well. Since Diana's on the stage, uh, I want to say this to my genealogist. This is not new to us, but always turn over every single rock. You know how I met Diana? Um, me and Jay was uh, reaching out to a second cousin that he had DNA-wise. We didn't know. Jay had a blank birth certificate. We had nothing to go off of. So we're just emailing everyone. We emailed them. I mean, we messaged them on Ancestry. He read it. He didn't respond. Um, he, did, he didn't respond. So we looked him up on LinkedIn. We looked him up on Facebook. We saw that he read two messages and didn't respond. So I went to his friends list and I said, let me just search everybody Bailey. And I searched everybody Bailey. I messaged everyone. Diana messaged me back. It took me, I think, like three days because she thought I was probably a psychopath with information on her family. So she had to vet me over the span of two or three days. And we've been talking for about four years. And, um, you know, it has evolved to the point where as though Jay has found his biological family. And now I'm working on Diana's tree. And Diana's going to be a guest uh, within the next few weeks coming up. So you never know what something could turn into, man. Just keep turning over every rock and doing that hard work. So uh, with that being said, uh, okay, Tenime, what you got, bro? <laughs> yeah, um, actually, I was in the back channel already talking to Zay. Um, yeah, so so if you've taken an Ancestry DNA test or a 23 DNA test or both, then uh, there is um, methods that you can that, that you could use to search for any potential relatives from across the continent of Africa. These are actual actual relatives, um, you know, who are your uh, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth cousins. Sometimes third, if you, you know, if if you are lucky enough to have had a uh, uh, one of the later ships to arrive to the U.S. You know, uh, between eighteen fifty, between eighteen fifty eight and eighteen sixty, right? Then it's possible that you could have a third cousin, but um, but uh, generally it's uh, fourth through eighth cousin, and uh, and they and, and they share an ancestor with you at some point between you know the last one hundred and sixty years, and uh, or one hundred and sixty years ago to you know three hundred years ago, um, and uh, these are your actual relatives, you know. Um, from across the continent of Af from across the continent of Africa, and that your actual ancestors, you know, were, were taken from their ancestral families, one of their ancestral families, and uh, transported to the U.S., transported to the Caribbean, and then to the U.S. at some point during the transatlantic slave trade. So, uh, I, um, I recommend. I think that we all recommend for you to take both ancestry DNA and twenty three and Me. Um, those are the two companies in which you cannot, or you have to, you have to take their DNA test in order to, uh, um, fish in their ponds, right? No, um, the other DNA companies allow transfers from other DNA companies to their, to, to their particular platforms, um, to get results. But 23andMe and Ancestry, uh, don't allow transfers. You have to take their test to fish in their pond. And so we recommend uh, those two tests. They're, they have the biggest populations of, uh, of, of customer of customers, right? Uh, 23andMe has, uh, I think at this point, 14,000, I mean 14,000, wow, 14 million customers in their, in their um, database um, uh, that they compare you to to see if, uh, see if you have any relatives within the customer pool and ancestry DNA has 21 or 22 million at this point. So uh, when you take those two tests, I will show you how to go fishing for uh, your actual relatives across Africa, provided they provided they you know actually test with those companies at any given time. That's it. And Zay, did you end up buying the Ancestry DNA test? I did. I got one for my dad. So he's doing it. Um, I didn't get one for anybody else. I just wanted him to do it. So I got him the ancestry test and he said he did it two days ago or something like that. So 
I'll check back in with him soon because he is a dad. So got to make sure he's doing what he's supposed to do. Yeah. So so with that, uh, I I uh, I think we all uh, actually encourage you to get you know your dad and your mom and your grandparents and your granduncles and aunts and you know your uncles and aunts. <laughs> Um, you know, get, get all the generations above you um, tested first, right? And because they are able to take you back further than your DNA test would ever take you. So, for instance, uh, if the furthest you could go with your DNA test is eight generations or is uh, what, 10 generations, eighth, eighth grade grandparents um, um, or seventh grade grandparents, rather, um, then, and, and let's say that stops at, for you, that stops at, 1770 right well your your parents would be able to take you back to uh, uh, um, another generation right um, and so you know there so theirs would take you back to 1750 um, you know your grandparents take you back any uh, 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 you know another generation beyond what your uh, parents take you so now so now you're looking at you know 1720 to you know, 1700. Uh, you know, by having your grandparents tested, right? So, yeah. You still talking, bro? Oh, oh, was that making sense? Did I? To... Yeah, nah. You just muffled out in the end. It looked like it sounded like you got put in a headlock. Oh, what did I say? What did you hear me say? Um, I heard everything you said. Um, it seemed like like at your last statement, it just kind of muffled out. Oh, okay. So the so the the last statement was that um, was that basically by getting the older generations tested, um, you take your you take your ability to um, to go back further to explore further in time. You take it back, you know, uh, um, you know, one and two generations, but um. Um, further than what you could do, just having your own DNA tested. So get all the uh, uppers tested. Well, uppers, I mean, get all your 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 aunts and uncles and your um, parents and your grandparents and their uh, their siblings and their first cousins, right? Tested as well. Okay, thank you. Sounds good. I'll definitely work on that. And Zay, since we're on DNA tests, um, I just want to say I appreciate you. Um, like I said, you're like episode one. You're the first person to jump on this one. I'm glad that we I met and exceeded your expectations, but also appreciate you for trusting me because I know how these clubhouse streets are. And when you meet genuine people and have genuine connections, and as we started to talk about your family, I extended um, extended you know, this offer to you and you took took me up on it. I know how sensitive it could be, especially meeting somebody online, you know, talking about your parents, where they were born, um, you know, yourself, your family members and stuff like that. This is very sensitive, sacred information. So I just wanted to say thank you so much. And, um, you know, for hopping on the first episode, I just want to let you know, I got a ancestry DNA test kit for you. Um, just, you know, hit me on the back channel and I'm going to mail it over to you. Oh, wow. Thank you. I definitely will. But I will say, if nothing else in this life, um, I definitely feel like I'm a good reader of energy and intentions from people. And when I met you, I could just tell you were a straightforward, real cool, down to earth guy. So I trusted you with this information and I'm really glad I did. Yeah. Marseille, what's good? What you got, bro? What's going on, cousin? Well, you know, I was coming up to tell her to make sure she does an ancestry DNA test so that she can find out who in this room you're related to. You know, a lot of us in this room, we are connected. We are related on some type of chromosomes, low CM, high CM, but um that will be exciting to see who in this room you're connected to. Ray's my cousin. Spencer's my cousin. So, you know, you have those North Carolina connections. So, welcome to the genealogical family. Oh, you're just going to leave me out, huh? Oh, sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry, cousin. <laughs> I'm sorry. Of course, OK is also my cousin. So, uh Come on, get that test, girl, so we can find out, you know, who you connect to in here. And there's 
many people um, that are connected in this room. So welcome. And also, Zay, that club that you do, that's why I said, um, okay, it was probably the pop, plop of pop a blood vessel in his eye when you said you're connecting Africans with African-Americans, because that is one of his primary missions, if not the primary mission of his uh, genealogical work. Um, he's passionate about it. Um, he has been to Africa. He has connected uh, countless amount of people with um, their distant DNA cousins. So um, not only with you, but anything you do involve that, um, I'm sure y'all gonna connect, but he he's he'll enhance everything that you do, and he, you know that's his passion. So, yeah, I'm glad y'all connected as well. Oh yeah, most definitely, most definitely. Well, hopefully, I'll get to see you guys in my spaces too, because I will definitely be back here to support everybody else with their genealogy journeys. And I'm glad to be a part of this family, and hopefully, you guys can come and join my clubhouse family too. Hold up, hold up, hold up. You know, we, we like to stay in our, you know, we like, this is an island. This is a genealogy island right here. We be a, we be in a cut chilling. We do our little rooms. Don't nobody know we exist. We like a secret society over here, Zay. So well, welcome Not to Not you being stingy with the clubhouse friends. <laughs> we can't let these men, first of all, you know what it's like, Zay. We can't let these men versus women, uh, leadership, um, what is what is the joint called? Submission rooms, you know. Ooh, not submission. All the doxing. <laughs> the submission rooms are nuts. <laughs> but you know, uh, it has changed. You know, this app. Uh, I think when most of us were on there in 2020 and then 2021, um, it was more like a LinkedIn. Uh, where we were a close-knit family, we exchanged resources, found out we were related, we built databases out. Um, we've helped a lot of people uh, with what we do. And, you know, we just, we're just moving and gliding with the times. You know, the app has evolved, and uh, we must too. So, you know, got to say goodbye to the old and usher in the new. So, yeah, I'm, I'm going to come holler at y'all. Y'all uh, have a club again. Even though y'all kicked me out, I forgive y'all. I'm coming back. Okay, that was one time. That was one time. And you were derailing. I was talking crazy, though. I was, but, you know, we, we talked about it and all this forgiven. Shout out to the heifers. Yeah, I, I we were like talking about something crazy today, mean. so yeah, you might want to like, be careful. I can, I can say heifers, and it's like a good thing. Shout out to my heifers out there, you know what I mean? Yes, shout out to the heifers. All right, so, hey, does anybody got anything else? Anybody in the audience want to put something in the chat or raise your hand? Anybody got anything? And also, anybody on the stage? Spencer, last words. How did you feel about this, man? This is something completely brand new. This was like a, um, you know, finding your roots for Clubhouse episode. You know, they talk about, you know, we all talk about how, you know, I wish people would be on Fighting Your Roots that were like regular people. And um, so we, we we doing that here. We're going to keep doing it. Uh, it was awesome. I think it was very spiritual in a, in a very good way. We can put our ancestors and bring them to the present because they never die as long as we say their names. And so this was amazing. Thanks again. Thank you so much. And also, you know, I got... So, you know, we're amongst family. You know, I got I got a room scheduled next week next week. My um West Baltimore brethren champion, um, heavy North Carolina roots. I'm collaborating. Um, I believe it's Dana and Tiff. And also we have Jay. Um, we have Diana. I got about four in the works and uh three more. Um, that we're going to bring in the rotation. So um, we're going to try to do this every week, if not bi-weekly, but we're going to keep it going, man. We're going to keep introducing people to their ancestors and um, doing the good work. Zay, we got any last words? Yes, my last words are... I'm going to leave you guys with an affirmation, right? I normally leave all of my, like, spaces of this, but this is my affirmation. I say it every day. I love it. 
and it's the slogan of my company. So it's give love, be love, be love, give love. If you can love yourself from the inside out, then you can truly exude that energy to other people naturally. So yeah, love yourself so you can love everybody else, guys. With that being said, I can't put nothing on top of that. So we're going we're gonna to go ahead and close it out. The replays will be available um, shortly after this. I'm going to post it. If you see the link up top, that is the Genealogy Trenches Clubhouse. Um, please join if you're not. Um, this is kind of like an ecosystem where we help people share stuff and post what we're doing. Um, that's for everybody. And, um, yeah, man, have a wonderful night. Uh, see y'all next week. Peace out. See you next week.